My name is Zahra Al-Dalfi. Joining me now to discuss the topic of books is respected Sayyid Bilal Rizvi and brother Arun Abdi. Sayyid Bilal has been lecturing internationally for many years on a number of topics including Islamic belief and theology. Brother Arun is the founder and editor-in-chief of Book Talk Day and has created a community of over 100,000 readers with his one-minute book review brand. Salaamu Alaikum to you both. I'd like to start this panel with a question to the both of you. Um, what inspired you to start reading? Said Bilal, would you like to answer first? Absolutely. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah alladhi allama bil-qalam allama al-insana ma'alam ya'lam wa sallallahu ala habibihi wa nabiyihi muhammadin afdala man ullima wa allam Assalamu alaikum to the both of you first and foremost, and I wish everyone congratulations on the auspicious occasion of the birth of the one who was Babu Madina Til Ilm, the door to the city of knowledge. As for the question of what inspired me to begin reading, I've always believed that for a student of knowledge, a person needs to have a deep sense of curiosity and they need to maintain this curiosity throughout their life because to know about the world around you is within our nature. But as we grow older, there's something that happens. When you look at children, right? You find that children are extremely inquisitive. They don't take anything at face value. They'll ask even questions that seem mundane to us that, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? How do you do that? But somewhere along our development, our questions, they change from questions of why and how to questions of what. And we lose that drive for curiosity. So one method which I found in my life that keeps this drive and this interest going is to read. Because when you open a book, you're not just looking at words. But in a way, words and language are a vehicle of thought. You're opening your mind to the thought of another individual. And in that way, you're able to expand a perspective. You're able to expand your perspective and you're able to understand the perspective of another individual. So, you know, this, um, this aspect's always fascinating. You know, we have so many limitations in the sense that there are many great thinkers, there are many great ulama, scholars, writers throughout history, but because of either temporal limitations or because of where we are, we aren't able to be alongside them or to benefit from them directly. So the best method to do so is via books. And please, if I go over my time, please don't uh, hesitate to stop me. I know Brother Owen has much to add on the subject as well. So, you know, the expansion of a perspective, one's own curiosity, and then after a time you find that one begins to have a comfort in books. And then when I embarked on the path of Islamic studies, reading became more of a responsibility, even more so than a sense of comfort. And I'll try to summarize it and end the question over here. Thank you very much. Rodharan, what inspired you to start reading? Uh, Walaikum salam, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you, sister, and uh, Sayyid Bilal. Uh, I want to say it's a, it's a moment to be here, to be, on, to be on this conference. I want to take a moment to thank uh, Sage Gerard Kazwini as well for, for putting this together. It's uh, martial arts amazing. So what inspired me to, to start reading is 
my mum is a English teacher and when we grew up I was always surrounded by books and growing up through school you know we studied English quite quite heavily and English literature in particular and that thirst for knowledge was was always there and as I transitioned from school into university I studied politics at university and I was able to read widely on a, on a wide variety of subjects you know my, my discipline was politics and international relations but I did many option modules in sociology anthropology neuroscience and it was really during that exploration of of spending time with large reading lists and and debating different subjects that that thirst for knowledge was there and as I transitioned into the working world and I started to find out that there was a plethora of, of other books on on many different subjects uh, whether it's uh, for instance business or psychology uh, or for instance artificial intelligence uh, at the moment there's a there's a wide range of different subjects at the moment that you can that you have access to through books and when you're in structured education uh, you only have a set amount of subjects and and once you get into the the working world you you realize that there is a a, a wide range of subjects and and the more you start delving into that the more you start to realize that you can understand yourself through books but you can also understand the objective world around you and get a better perspective of how the world works and you can also do some introspective work to understand yourself and gain self-awareness but understanding the objective world and then how you're able to act in that world is is a is a great benefit and and also the more that you're able to understand technical skills whether they be public speaking whether they be uh, for instance like i said on artificial intelligence or business in general you get into a positive feedback loop where you're able to apply that knowledge and and see the benefits of it and that momentum then carries you carries you through Thank you. Um, and do you believe it's important to start reading at a young age? And if so, Brother Aaron, how can we encourage more of this within our communities? It's it's such a great question because every Sunday I do a live Q&A on my One Minute Book Review channel and most of our demographics are between 18 to 34. And I think it's really important to encourage young uh, people, especially in our community, to start reading earlier. And I think a great way to do that is to teach them that reading books, for instance, most people read fiction books and I, there's great value in reading fiction books to understand uh, human truths and, and understand storytelling in particular. But I think there's a there should be an emphasis on understanding practical skills that you can apply, uh, for instance, in the working world. And I think the education system that we have, regardless of where you are in the world, I think needs to do a better job of teaching practical skills and that's where I think non-fiction books specifically can can hold a place in in our communities especially I think finding similarities and finding parallels between uh, religious books and non-fiction practical books I think is a great way to do that specifically in our communities uh, having workshops having uh, seminars where you get the community together and perhaps have debating clubs having public speaking opportunities where you can get young people in the community to implement these skills that are in these these great non-fiction books that are practical and and then giving them the opportunity to put it into practice then enhances their learning and they can take that into the world and and find the practical application for it because reading is one thing and and i say this all the time on, on our on our channel it's reading is one thing but the application of that knowledge is is what you really want and it's only through that uh finding finding a way to apply that early is is the best way to do that definitely application is key Said Balan, what would you consider to be the importance of reading and learning within the Islamic tradition? 
Well, it really starts with revelation itself. I mean, the importance of reading is that reading is a gateway to knowledge. And knowledge is something which has been emphasized in the Quran and in the Hadith as well. For example, when we look within the Quran, we find in the very first rep revelation, Allah says, Bismillah rahman rahim Ikra, Bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq, khalaq al-insana min alaq, Ikra wa rabbuka al-akram, alladhi allama bil-qalam. So we find that over here that it says, recite in the name of your Lord, the one who created you from a clot of blood. And then it says, recite, and your Lord is the most honorable, the one who taught you by the pen. So, you know, over here from the first revelation, we see as soon as Allah mentions our creation and our existence, then after that, he mentions the human being as a creation that was able to learn. So as soon as existence is mentioned, you find knowledge is mentioned after that. And then after that, we have many different ideas from the traditions. I mean, traditions many of you are familiar with, such as Talabul Ilm, Faridatun Ala Kulli Muslim, that you know, the acquirement of knowledge is mandatory upon every Muslim. So from this idea, what we can say about the Islamic tradition is that within the Islamic tradition, the accessibility of knowledge is one which was surpassed many other civilizations. Because when you look at many other civilizations, you find that in history, there was knowledge that was limited to a particular caste. There was knowledge which was limited to a particular group. But you find in Islam, there was a widespread emphasis upon the acquirement of knowledge and reading was a key method to do so. I mean, it went to such an extent that, I mean, we have the famous hadith that the ink of a scholar is greater than the blood of a martyr. Because when a martyr is martyred, he is giving his life for a cause. But a scholar is able to show what that cause is and give him that guidance. So when you look at this tradition, what's interesting is that it mentions the ink of a scholar that although guidance can come in any form of communication, the fact that it uses the word ink, it goes to show that that knowledge, which even remains after the passing of that individual carries this great blessing and this great status. Because the beauty of writing a book is this, is that as long as my book is there, and as long as people are benefiting from that book, you find that in a way that author through that knowledge which they are disseminating remains alive. And in the Islamic tradition, we had many great scholars, both male and female who wrote important works. And through these works, we find that they remain alive and it is a source of reward for them. And it's really a living tradition. And even to add to that, even when you look today, we find that the Muslim world has given a great emphasis upon reading within the seminaries as well with great precision. That when we have a traditional book within the seminaries, there is a great level of detail that every single word is being discussed, the subject matter of the book, the benefit of the book. So there needs to be a bridge that this level of precise reading is transitioned in towards the communities and we're able to benefit from a regular regiment of reading. Thank you very much. And Brother Aoun, you mentioned uh, 
just before about fiction and non-fiction so there are people that like certain types of book genres for example classic fantasy or self-improvement what would you consider to be the benefits of reading widely and not just sticking to certain types of books sure it's it's such a great question because it almost seems like people either fall into two camps you're either the hardcore fiction you, you love some harry potter or you're sort of the the, the heavy non-fiction reader that only reads self-development books and the, the way that I usually approach this is I would say I'm a, like an 80-20 split usually. It's sort of 80 non-fiction, sort of 20 fiction. But I, I think there's some learning opportunities in both. So for instance, in, for instance, in fiction, the thing that I think is valuable in fiction is great storytelling. And I think storytelling is so powerful both in fiction and non-fiction. But the, the advantages of storytelling in fiction is really those fundamental human truths. So if you look, for instance, uh, recently we had uh, an, an author come on our podcast and she was talking about literature, specifically English literature in the early 1900s and 1900s. And they were talking about fundamental human truths from like the mental health and mental illness point of view. And you can really capture what it means to be human uh, through great storytelling. But then if you look at, for instance, nonfiction books, specifically in the self-development or self-improvement space, there is some real benefit in that practical application, like I was mentioning before, and also in subjects, for instance, that you didn't have access to when at school. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, at the moment, uh, I've, I've been reading a lot of books on artificial intelligence and topics that are relevant to what's happening right now and, and affecting people's lives right now. And the, the ability to read widely on a, on a mass range of topics means that you have a better understanding of the world around you. And, in our communities and as the as an individual uh, in in the world at the moment it's critical to understand what's going on now but also to have one eye on the future as well to try and understand how the events and the climate right now is going to affect uh, the world in the future and having a better understanding of these topics is is so critical because it doesn't just affect you as the individual it will affect our communities it'll affect our families it will affect the society as a whole so i think reading widely is so critical not only for enjoyment for instance if you're if you're into reading for instance fiction for uh, escapism but also self-development books and self-improvement books or just general non-fiction books for instance history or politics or economics these books that and make you understand the the core systems of of how the world works it's just it's so it's so important and my recommendation is always to read books that you're interested in uh, whether that is fiction books or whether that is a non-fiction book on a specific subject but it's also to pair that with a skill for instance, if you're looking to improve your public speaking at work or you're looking for practical ways to implement productivity tips into the way that you schedule your day, there's books out there on every single subject. Uh, it's funny, once you start having a look at books on Amazon, it's almost just they just recommend you every single book based on the, the way the algorithm works. So, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely recommend reading widely on, on, on many, many different subjects. Thank you for that. Um, I know personally when I read, if it's not for revision purposes or work purposes, I struggle to retain the information. Sayyid Bilal, in your opinion, what is the most effective way to approach reading so that we are better able to absorb and retain the knowledge within the books? That's an excellent question and I definitely agree with on sentiments that Amazon recommendations can be very <laughs> dangerous for the wallet. So, But no, as for the question, it's an excellent question. Because whenever we step into any area of our life, we try to go in with preparation. 
whether it's our work, whether it's, you know, going to the gym, we stretch before going to the gym, for example, or any other area. But when it comes to reading, unfortunately, we don't get that level of preparation. And it, particularly when we're reading outside of our area of speciality. When I read something for school or for something directly related to my work, we'll sit up, we'll take notes, we'll be attentive. But when it's anything outside of that, then you know, sitting on a recliner with your legs stretched out isn't the most effective way to retain information. So there needs to be etiquettes. And this is why in the Islamic tradition, we find that there were works which were written under the category of adabul muta'allimin, the etiquettes of the student. And the most famous, of course, is the work called Munyatul Murid, which was translated by the Islamic College with the title, The Desire of the Aspirant, if I remember correctly. So you find that works such as this, and then even in the English language, there are works that are available. I think uh, Mortimer J. Adler's book, How to Read a Book, is an essential book because that book is really a key to other books and it shows a person how to read. So very quickly, let me summarize some of the ways that we can benefit from our reading. That from one end, there needs to be a spiritual prerequisite. And that's why when we look at our traditional books, there's been an emphasis on the reason why you're acquiring knowledge. Are you acquiring knowledge for your own benefit? Are you sincere in the acquirement of this knowledge? Are you acquiring this knowledge just to show off to others? And then we have traditions which condemn this type of knowledge. Some of them are harsh as saying that that this person is setting up his hereafter within the fire. So we find that the sincerity of one's uh, pursuit has an impact upon the benefit they derive from that knowledge. Because when you look at some of these works, they'll say that people are divided into three categories. Some individuals, even though they tried and they gave every sort of rational effort, they weren't able to acquire knowledge. Certain people, they acquire knowledge, but what they do, they could have done in a much shorter time period. And there are certain people that when they acquire that knowledge, it does nothing for them except except for making them go farther away from Allah. So the spiritual mindset and the intention you go into a book is important from one angle. But from the second level, you find there's intellectual prerequisites as well. I'll ask you a question that, you know, people, they're expected to read their entire lives. But what is the last time that you took a course on reading? The last time most people, they take a course on reading is at the fifth and the sixth grade level, at the elementary level. And we see that up to that level, there is a development in the reading skill. But after that, there's a flattening of the curve that they don't get better within the skill. So one factor of reading that we need to recognize is that reading is an active activity. And this is my first point, and this is a very important point. Many people think that speaking is active and listening is passive. Writing is active and reading is passive. But no, the reality is that reading is also active. It's not the analogy that some people like to make that the writer is writing and your mind is a piece of paper. No, that's not the case because a piece of paper absorbs every single thing which is written. But a more proper analogy is that it's like throwing an object and the other person catching an object. In this case, we find that both the reader 
and the writer and the way the catcher and the thrower are doing an active activity, we find reading is an active activity. The second reason, the second point, and I'll be shorter on all future questions if I go a little bit over time on this question to give brother own time. So the second aspect, we need to ask ourselves, why are we reading? The first reason a person can read is for amusement. The second reason a person can read is for information. But the third art, which is really the lost art of the modern world, is to read for understanding. You know, it's pretty appropriate that they call this age the information age. We try to load ourselves with information, but information oftentimes can be a barrier to understanding. And that's what we need to recognize. Greater than memorizing facts is to gain understanding. And how is understanding gained? Understanding is gained by a deeper reading, a reading which requires reflection. You know, the famous scholar, Shaheed Muhammad Bakir al-Sadr, they asked him that, how did you reach your status? And he didn't reply by saying that I would read all day, I would read all night. He would say that 90% of my time was spent in reflection and 10% of the time was spent in reading. So the art of reflection is something which is extremely important, even when it comes to studying, right? Verbs can have an object, they cannot have an object. For example, running doesn't have an object. And Brother On appreciates the grammar point I noticed right here. But certain actions, they require an object. So in the Arabic language, the word to study is darasa. And it means to study when it comes with an object, like darastu had al-kitab, I studied this book. But when darasa doesn't come without an object, it means to wear something out through use after use. And that's one of the beauties of studying that when there is a book and you're really trying to understand that book, don't be afraid to read it more than one time. Don't be afraid to go back. And really, and this is the final point I'll make, is there are four levels of reading. Number one is elementary reading. That is just to understand what the author is saying and answers the question of what. The second level of reading is inspectional reading. That whenever I pick up a book, it's not that we just directly read the book but look at the table of contents, understand the structure of the book, categorize the book, and then enter the book. The third level is analytical reading. We try to analyze the arguments of the author and understand them. And the fourth level is synoptical reading. And that is when we place this book in comparison to other books that we've read. And in that manner, we widen the perspective. And this is a whole seminar on its own. So I'll stop right here and I'll let On take the floor and Sister Zahra. Thank you for that very detailed answer, Sayyid Bilal. Um, I would like to move on to audience questions now, starting with a question for Brother Aoun. Many people like to read fiction books, which can enhance creativity. However, do you think it is more beneficial to read nonfiction rather than fiction? It's a very good question. I want to uh, just quickly pick up on a point of Sayyid Bilal's. Um, you, need, you need a reading course of your own. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is an important topic because like, like I mentioned earlier, it's a lot of people want to say that one is better than the other, but I don't necessarily think that's the right question to be asking. I think 
as I said before, it's not necessarily to say that one is better than the other, but there is things that you can learn from both. So recently on our podcast, we had a, an, an award-winning author called Will Storr, and he wrote this book called The Science of Storytelling. And he's a journalist by profession, and he's written nonfiction books, but he's also written some fiction material. And in that podcast, we were talking about how storytelling from a fiction perspective is a lot more difficult, but there's still fundamental truths within that that, that you can learn from. And what makes a great fiction book and even a great non-fiction book is storytelling and storytelling is at the heart of most forms of media whether you look at movies whether you look at great books whatever it might be a great storyteller is usually a great communicator so I wouldn't necessarily say that one is better than the other but storytelling should be at the heart of it now a great fiction book has great storytelling but equally a great non-fiction book has great storytelling in a different kind of way so some of my favorite non-fiction books are by authors that are for instance journalists by profession so their books are just long-form journalism authors like malcolm gladwell authors like will store uh, these authors are able to express their point of view in such a way uh, across 300 pages that delve into highly complex topics uh, for instance in outliers by malcolm gladwell he goes deep into people who are exceptional within their field whether they be sports stars uh, or politicians whatever that might be to try and analyze information and they uh, delve into deep centers of science but they're able to explain it in such a simplistic way so there's definitely things that can be learned from both and i definitely don't think that one is better than the other i think to to follow on from said Bilal's point it's really why are you reading it and it's such an important point that that i try and emphasize with my audience is you need to have a question in mind before you approach any book because one of the questions that i get a lot is how do i keep up my motivation and how do i keep up my focus when reading and oftentimes it's just because they haven't quite understood why they're approaching reading it they've just opened the book because their friends told them to read it or perhaps you know they've seen it on a reading list or they just picked it up from the shelf but if you don't have a specific reason or ask yourself a question before approaching that book it's very difficult to to get as much out of it as you can so that's really i think the the, the main thing that you need to you need to go in before you start any book is asking yourself the purpose behind it thank you very much and very quickly, Sayyid Bilal, um, this question says, we have an abundance of Islamic literature in the Islamic world. How do you see Islamic writing evolving over the next few centuries? And what can we do to ensure that it is as engaging and, and informative as that left behind by our great scholars? That's a, that's a very loaded question. And there's a lot of uh, intricacy in that. But I'll give you a general principle. Because to answer that question, that what is the future of Islamic writing? There are so many different disciplines within Islamic thought. For example, one who is an intellectual historian of Islam, there's many uh, topics which are here today, for example, in manuscript study that weren't there before. And because of that, there's discussions about the future methodology of historical research. And similarly, in Islamic legal theory, there's different discussions. But I'll give you a general principle. A general principle, and there's a proverb in Arabic which says, Al-Haja Ummul Ikhtira, that necessity is the mother of invention. That whenever there has been an issue, we've seen that the tradition and the way of our, uh, the traditional Muslim scholars is that they adapted to the challenges of their time period. 
For example, we see somebody like Shahid Bakir al-Sadr writing a refutation on Marxism because according to his time period, that was an issue which was a common issue. We see, for example, that with the rise of scientism and the view that you know, the only verifiable truth is empirical reality, we find that ulama, they began to write about works called Nadariyatul Ma'rifah and epistemology, that what is true knowledge and how do we acquire true knowledge. So in the way that scholars of the past have adapted to the issues of their time period, in the same way, I see that future scholars will continue to adapt to the issues that their time period faces Inshallah. as well. And that'll be the short version of the answer. Thank you very much. And just before this panel unfortunately comes to an end, could you please provide the audience with information on where to find you? Uh, let's, uh, so as for me, I mean, I'm on Twitter, I'm in Instagram recently, just Sayyid Bilal Rizvi, and it's Sayyid S-A-Y. I know each of us has our own variation of the spelling. Uh, yes, you can find me uh, mostly everywhere. So you can uh, Instagram One Minute Book Review, Instagram Book Talk Today, Instagram on Abdi on multiple platforms, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. Just type in my name. Loads of things or different, different things will come up. Thank you both for sharing your knowledge with us today. Thank you, dear audience, and Marisa Nama.